0: Uh, Early this month, uh, the results of a new research project was published where nearly 6,000 Australians were surveyed uh, in 2018 and what they found is that almost one in four Australians said that they experienced some form of discrimination. Uh, So this includes unfairly denied a job or promotion or bank loan uh, or the weekly... Or daily discrimination of being treated with less respect, or being harassed, or being called names. But if I bring it down to our normal day to day, I reckon deep down we all have our own prejudices, which affect how we relate to other people who we don't naturally connect with, to people who are different to us. And that can stop us from sharing our faith with them or just stopping us loving them as we should. Uh, What we'll see from God's word this morning is that the gospel is inclusive because the gospel is for everyone, no matter who they are. Uh, This morning we're going to see three things. Firstly, we're going to see the church being scattered. Then secondly, we're going to see this thing about Philip and Simon. And then thirdly, we're going to see something about Philip and us. Uh, but let me firstly set the context of where we've been through uh, Acts so far. Uh, now the book of Acts is about God's mission of God's, of his people, uh, of people coming to know Jesus through his disciples. And back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 we saw the plan of how this mission was to happen. Let me read to you again, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this. Jesus was saying, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in chapters 1 to 7 that we've seen so far, we've seen that tons of people have become Christians. But so far, the action has only been in Jerusalem. And so by the time we get to Acts chapter 7, we saw last week, the opposition against Christianity has really grown. And Stephen, one of the food management guys of the church, he was killed for what he believed in. And it's with the murder of Stephen that Acts chapter uh, 8 now opens. And what we see now here, there's deliberate, systematic steps being taken to eradicate Christianity out of Jerusalem. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 1, it says this. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So because this persecution was so great, the church was forced to scatter, do you notice, throughout Judea and Samaria. Can you see what God's doing here? if we look back to Acts chapter 1 verse 8 well we think God's allowing the persecution against the church to actually achieve his purpose as the church in Jerusalem is now doing what God had already planned to do which is for the church to spread through out Judea and Samaria and did you notice what the church did as they scattered please read verse 4 with me says this those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So despite the attempts of the world to squash Christianity, we actually had the opposite effect, where the persecution successfully grows the gospel. It's like the world, they were trying to, it's trying to blow out a smoldering fire. But instead of putting it out... They fan, it, they fan it into flame. And the thing we need to see here is, well, God's the one who's really in charge here. God's purposes won't be undone. That Whatever happens in the world, he'll use it to achieve his plan, which is to make his kingdom grow. I wonder if this is the same thing that's happening in Australia in Christianity today. Where these days, it's harder to be a Christian. But despite what we hear and see in the world around us, or what we're experiencing personally, hey, we can take comfort, and we can rest in the knowledge that nothing is outside of God's control. He's got the situation in hand, and he has a plan for it to grow his kingdom. And what we're seeing here in Acts chapter 8 here is actually fulfilling the words of a Pharisee called Gamaliel back in Acts chapter 5. Where Gamaliel and all the other Pharisees, they were trying to initially work out what to do with this thing called Christianity, what to do with the apostles. And Gamaliel says this in Acts chapter 5 verse 38. He says, For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So, if a person of the opposition can see that, well, how much more should we? Well, in verse 5, we see a guy called Philip. And we find out from chapter 6 that, well, like Stephen, well, Philip was one of the food management guys for the church. And because of the persecution, well, Philip finds himself in Samaria. And like Stephen in chapter 6, well, Philip is also doing the work of the apostles, of preaching the good news of Jesus and performing miracles. And as a result, the Samaritans are becoming Christians the thing you need to know about Samaritans is that the Jews absolutely hated them. Uh, Back in the Old Testament there's this civil war in Israel and the northern part, which is what Samaria was part of, broke away and assimilated with the Gentiles. And so the Samaritans were seen as these half-blood traitors who had turned their backs on true blue Judaism. And the animosity that both sides have for each other Uh, It's actually like what the Israelis today have against the West Bank Palestinians. And so for some of you who are die-hard New South Wales supporters, if you think you don't like Queenslanders that much, well, that's nothing compared to these Israelites and Samaritans. So with that in mind, what we see Philip doing here is really, really bold. Because this is uncharted territory. No Jew would ever dream of doing this. But the gospel is inclusive. The gospel is for everyone. And that means it's for Samaritans too. And what we see in chapter 8, well, contrary to traditional expectations, the Samaritans accept the good news of Jesus and they start following him. Verse nine. We meet a guy, a Samaritan called Simon, and he's a big personality in Samaria. Uh, please read verse nine and ten with me. It says this: that for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city, and amazed all the people of Samaria. He he boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, Hey, this man is rightly called the great power of God. Simon's not a bashful guy. Unlike Karen Assels, who's an introvert, this guy is an extrovert. And not only does he think he's great, well, he's convinced everyone else that he's great. But then when Philip bursts on the scene, The great one, this great Samaritan one, is confronted with someone who's greater. Whatever magic tricks or David Copperfield illusions that Simon did, they were no match for what Philip was pulling off. Where he was driving out demons, he was healing the paralyzed. All in the name of Jesus, who is the one who is the real power. And so Simon starts following Philip. Now in verse 14, Peter and John, two of the apostles, come to Samaria to check out what's happening. And because the Samaritan believers hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet, well, Peter and John, they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now I have to say up front here, What we see in this part of the passage it's really weird because this isn't the normal way things happen when someone becomes a Christian because we know from the rest of the Bible once you become a Christian you get the Holy Spirit instantly. So what's happening here? Well we're meant to see this as deliberately odd so that our attention is drawn to the bigness of what's happening here. The ongoing work of God's kingdom has now stepped out of Jerusalem and stepping out of Judaism. And so this, this is so big that the apostles, they're forced to see it for themselves. And so that's why the spirit is purposely and strangely delayed. So that the apostles could eyeball it for themselves that these hated Samaritans are now invited to God's kingdom. Again, God is saying it loud and clear, that the gospel is inclusive. The gospel is for everyone. Especially to those who don't expect. Now in verse 18, Simon sees what the apostles are doing. And he wants to buy that ability to give out the Holy Spirit. Well, Peter tells him off. And Peter's rebuke is pretty sharp. Now, please see what Peter says to Simon in verses 20 to 23. Verse 20, Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part of sharing this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see... That you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Simon wants to buy a franchise in the business of the Holy Spirit because he wants another trick for his repertoire. You see, at the end of the day, Simon, he's selfishly thinking that's all about him. But the big thing is that Simon doesn't actually understand God's free gift of grace. Because you can't buy God's grace with money. And it's a common mistake. People think you have to do something for God so that you can be blessed by God. But God can't be bought. He's not here to enhance our little show. And the problem is for Simon, he doesn't realize how bad and how unworthy he really is. So Peter calls out Simon, or what's happening in Simon's heart. That Simon's full of bitterness. That sin is driving his intentions. So Peter warns Simon to repent and to pray to God for forgiveness. Well, how does Simon respond? Well, please check out verse 24 with me. Verse 24 says this, Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. This is a model response. Simon's saying, Hey, I have been living the wrong way. I don't want to live under the judgment of God. I know I've been sinning. I want to turn. I want to be different. I want to be changed. Now you might be here, and you might be like Simon. Simon. Where you know you haven 't where you 've been you 've been living the wrong way, you know you haven 't done that initial turn to Jesus can say if that 's you, can I encourage you to take the next steps that Simon took to acknowledge what you 're doing is wrong to actually turn to God and let him change you and just like the Samaritans and just like Simon can I encourage you to Embrace God's grace seen in Jesus. If that's something you might be interested in, please feel free to talk to myself or Carmen or Chris uh, later on uh, after morning tea or note it down in the comment card. Well, where does that leave us? Well, what we see with Philip is that he has a heart that's like God's heart where he wants to reach others, no matter who they are. You see, God has a massive heart for everyone, which includes the Samaritans, which included Simon. You see, for God, there's, there's no more second-class citizens, there's no more excluded categories, and all of this is to emphasize that the gospel is for everyone no matter how unlikely we think they are. You see, God's opening his arms and wants all types of people to be saved, as we saw in the kids' talk this morning. And that's actually the heart of what Christmas is all about. That's through the coming of Jesus, God's grace is now made available to everyone. And it's God's people We want to be like Philip as as well, don't we? We want to have an open and welcoming heart for all people because our Heavenly Father is like that. We want to have as many people as possible to be saved because that's what our Heavenly Father desires. And today's passage actually gives us great excitement about what actually can happen when we have an open and loving heart like God's. Because what we see with Philip, he didn't let his upbringing or his own personal prejudices to colour how he interacted with other people. If anything, because of his upbringing, he had every reason to keep his distance from the Samaritans. But the thing is, the gospel smashes down all those barriers. and helps us to see that at the heart of it all, what we see when kids talk We're all the same. We're all created in the image of God. And we're all people who need Jesus. And so because of this, well, the gospel shapes how we interact with people who are different to us. Now, it's inevitable that there'll be people who we don't naturally connect with. There'll be people we don't easily relate with because we're so different to them. Well, It's because of the gospel That's not to be an excuse for us to be exclusive, for us to ignore them, for us not to hold out the gospel to them. So is there someone in your life where you're letting your prejudices affect how you treat them? Is there someone you're ignoring, that you're giving the cold shoulder to because they're different to you? As we come to this time of Christmas, as we come on this time of holidays, we're coming to a time where life is not so crowded with work or school. I reckon maybe this is the perfect time for us to actually reflect on all our relationships, on all our interactions with the people that God has brought into our own orbits. So I can encourage you this time during Christmas, during the holidays, Take the time to do that, to reflect on what might need to change for you this next year. Uh, We heard earlier this morning the story of Karen Assos, where she felt excluded when she was a teenager, until that other teenager stopped, turned back, came back, and welcomed her. And you've heard this morning of the profound effect that that has had on Karen ever since. You know, for all of us, the heart of the gospel, the heart of the message of Christmas is that God made the first move towards us. In the coming of his son, how he became flesh. And Jesus did that so that we won't be excluded, but rather be included and loved, despite who we are. And so technically, because we all know what it's like to be included, to be loved without prejudice, well, why would we want anyone to experience the awful feeling of being excluded? Let's pray. Heavenly Father,